This is an audio cast of the Frontline program, Last Days of Solitary, premiering April 18th on PBS and Frontline.org. Tonight, an extraordinary look at solitary confinement. Try to be normal again. Filmed over three years. Can't conduct yourself like a human being when they treat you like an animal. The story of an institution trying to change. Prison systems around the country, they are beginning to see that solitary confinement creates many more problems than it solves. To mitigate risk, you need treatment and programming. Individuals can't be locked down. They've got to be interacting. And the men trying to move beyond it. I went from the most restrictive place I've ever been to no restrictions at all. I ran away, didn't want to deal with anything. Just wanted to be me, myself, and get my head right. Tonight on Frontline, Last Days of Solitary. Frontline is made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. And by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Major support for Frontline is provided by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information is available at macfound.org. Additional support is provided by the Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide at fordfoundation.org the Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The John and Helen Glessner Family Trust, supporting trustworthy journalism that informs and inspires. And by the Frontline Journalism Fund, with major support from John and Joanne Hagler, and additional support from Laura DeBonis. Tonight's program contains graphic imagery and language. Viewer discretion is advised. Across the United States, around 80,000 prisoners are held in solitary confinement. This film was shot over three years in the Maine State Prison as it tried to reduce its use of solitary. Special Management Unit. Uh, it's a segregation unit for the state prison. Sergeant Michael Burns. And what we have here is we have the prisoners who are down here to do segregation time for disciplinary reasons. Here it is. They are locked down 23 hours a day. 
for the most part. Uh, while they're down here, they're angry. They flood the cells. They could be upset about the littlest things, and they just turn into violence. The other thing that they uh, do from time to time is they will self-injure themselves. They can bang their heads, punch the doors with their fists and break their hands. They can resort to razor blades uh, that they find, and uh, they will cut themselves. Three windows covered right now, and one of them appears to be self-abusive. Obviously, he is because there's blood on his toilet paper. Tempted to look through the tray slot to see if I could get a visual on him, and he's got it covered with a mattress. Kid! So my only other hope before I uh, have to extract him and bring him out of there, since he re refuses to talk to me or cuff up, is that I can see him through the back of the window. If I can't see him from the back window, we're going to have to go in and take him out for his own safety. Smart enough. Viewing central. He's in here. What do you mean? Stand by. Stand by. We'll be sent He's got it all covered. So now we have to pull him out. Call two two two. I can confirm extraction team. Good to go. Go wait 
Crazy, craziness, and, uh, and it's because they're stuck in here with nothing to do. You don't have a strong mind, this place can break you quick. A lot of guys, they don't even have reasons why, they just snap out. That's what this place does here, it makes you mean, makes you violent, and it f***s a lot of people's heads up. Solitary confinement. Part one, fall twenty thirteen. My name's Todd Michael Fickett. My prisoner number is 93262. I'm here for arson. In prison for arson. Down here makes you feel like you'd be buried alive. You're someplace alive, but you're no place anybody wants you. I'm down here in solitary confinement for like six months for hitting an officer in the kitchen. Todd Fickett is serving 20 years for arson. He's in solitary for assaulting an officer. That's what you get to do. Sit there and think about your thoughts all day. Pace back and forth. That's pretty much 24-7. Like, you come home, I think it's twice a week for a shower. You know, you change your clothes when you want, but, you know, you're still stuck in a cell every day. My, my, me my, my mental state will probably go downhill like it did last time. I go pretty crazy. Yep. 
Inmates in solitary have devised ways of passing contraband from cell to cell. We're not supposed to do it, but we do it. It's kind of funny. We're just bored, we gotta have something to do. You wanna make sure that somebody's around. send notes, letters, medications, and uh, sometimes razor blades. Why don't you take this stuff down? What's going on, man? Come on. Hey, Put your that towel over there on your arm, okay? Let's just at least slow that bleeding down. Hey, are you welcome to cough up? Drink some of your blood, figure. Come on, we're gonna help you. The first step is we gotta get that arm taken care of, and then we can get you some help, okay? Pretty serious cutter. Sergeant Dennis Dupere. I've known Todd for quite a while now, and his history of self-injurious behavior is pretty significant. So he does a pretty good job when he does cut. So I mean, he'll he'll go right for uh, a main artery, or yeah, you know, he'll 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 tap into something that produces uh, copious amounts and, and you know puts his life at risk. So basically, right now, I'm gonna see if I can move him to one of our two cells that I have that are designated for constant watches. They have cameras built in, they got full glass doors. Inmate Gordon Perry. Yep, it's inevitable, you put us in here with nothing to do, gonna hit the fan. Another day on the job. This is a real clean up right here. Probably average about 20 of these a month, so. 
Inmate Lamar Kelly is on cleanup duty. Uh, last uh, year, I became an expert on, uh, on blood, I guess. But it doesn't just mop up, does it? No, it doesn't. It, it, co it coagulates. Generally, I try to saturate it with, uh, with a germicide, and then uh, I, use a, I use, a, use a sheet to mop it up, and then afterwards, I try to scrub it down. goes out to everybody down there. I've been, I've been behind these doors, so I know what it's like to stay down here for years. You know, being behind these walls, they get to everybody and everybody deals with it in their own particular way. As you can imagine, someone being 18 years old in a setting like this, you know, it's not really, it does a lot with your mind. Other states have begun efforts to scale back their use of solitary. In 2013, a new warden was hired to carry out reforms at the main state prison. My belief is the use of segregation has its place when you have real dangerous prisoners, but from my perspective, it is overused throughout the United States. Warden Rodney Buffard. For the normal person who doesn't work in a facility like this, they're going to be thinking, if you punish him, you're going to make him better. And the reality is the exact, the exact opposite happens. Putting them in confinement and forgetting about them is essentially going to make them worse. There's no question in my mind. If I have somebody that comes in with a five-year commitment, you can have them do their whole time in segregation, uh, but I don't want them living next to me when you release them. I think we need to make every attempt at moving them out of, of those cells and moving them into general population. I want you out on the other side of that door, because that's good for you to be on this side of the door and not that side. All right? So we got to find a way to get you out so you're not fighting with people. We have some very, very dangerous prisoners. So on the surface, it might look crazy. Uh, but the reality is, is that 80% of these inmates are going to be hit in the street. OK, so we can either make them worse, OK, and create more victims when they go on the street, or we can rehabilitate them. I'm Adam Brulot, 102817. Yeah, I've been in prison since November 28th of 2012. Got into a lot of fights in school. Started drinking at 17. 
get in huge fights at parties, like three on one and winning, and everybody thought I was the coolest kid, so I just kept on doing it and doing it, and then I went too far, and I broke a kid's jaw in seven places with one punch. I landed me an aggravated assault. Adam Brulot is serving two years for aggravated assault and burglaries. He's in solitary for starting a riot in his cell block. All right. Secure Bravo 101 local, secure it, please. I just went overboard. That's why I'm down here. I freaked out. I was screaming. I started punching stuff. I got maced and tackled. They're trying to say I started a riot. And they brought me down here. I've been down here two days now. I like SEG. I can handle being locked down 23 hours a day because I can read, I can write, I can do push-ups. Most of the time I just chill. You gotta relax. You can't get yourself wound up because you can't leave that room. Well, it's good to my standards. <laughs> I'm always at this window, so I like the window to be clean. My face touches it, my hands touch it. Yeah, it sucks. But I think I'm doing good. Good. That's a good place for you to focus on. Twenty-five days later. I got hardcore ADD and I'm about to leave in five months. I don't know where I'm gonna go. I don't know where I'm gonna work. I don't know how I'm gonna get a car. I still got a thousand dollars to pay with no car, no job. When you settle down in your room and you really just start thinking, just bang, 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 all at once. And I need, just trying to get some medication to slow that down for now, but that's really the problem. This really kind of my head. Why are you pissed off? The people's portions. Listen, there's no need for this, man. You know that. If you 
We just leave Brulot in segregation. He's going to become worse. Um, we're going to end up with an inmate that probably will attempt to starve himself. Um, without a doubt, at some point, begin, begin demonstrating uh, some self-abusive behavior. So now, by introducing programs, we'll work with the inmates until eventually they become less dangerous. And then we could look at moving them back to general population. The new warden has started rehabilitation classes for inmates in solitary. Good morning, good morning. We'll talk about that after. No, 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 I just want to get started because we only got a little bit of time. Class is going to go the same way we always go. Ain't nothing going to change for nothing. No reason. These inmates have been significantly violent and they're truly a danger to self or others. So this is going to be a slow process. We'd have Brulot initially in cuffs and shackles. After we developed a little more confidence, uh, he'd be attending the groups just in cuffs. Develop a little more confidence, he'd attend the groups without cuffs and with just one other inmate. And we would gradually work him um, so that he'd leave that group from segregation into general population, where his program would continue. So how does pride affect us? Adam Brulot. I show pride. I try to go like too far. I start to get hard-headed. So you go from pride into uh, do what everybody wants. Now, like, oh, yeah. I'll be so much cooler if I break this guy's eye socket. Or if I flood this <laughs> and I go do it, then I go do a high risk. You gotta find a different way of dealing with your anxiety, your anger, and all that other stuff that comes with sitting in that cell all day. Well, I got angry, I don't think before I act. I usually don't take responsibility for myself and I just blame other people. But I'm doing this program. I'm just gonna I'm start taking responsibility. I'm the one up, so. Can't be pointing the finger. That sounds, that sounds fantastic, number one, honestly. I've seen it work. I'm, I'm an absolute believer in it working. It is our job, to the extent that we can, to rehabilitate them so they can become successful, productive citizens in the community. take the classes and behave well, they can be moved back into the prison's general population. My legal name is Samuel Cason. I prefer to be called Sam. I'm currently here for a Class A aggravated assault. Most of my family's been in and out of prison their whole life. Uh, I grew up around this. Sam Kaysen is serving two years, nine months for aggravated assault and possession of a firearm. He's currently in general prison population. I 
first drank and smoked pot about 10 years old. By age 14, I was shooting heroin and had already done a couple uh, juvenile sentences. The first time I got in trouble, I got sent to a mental hospital. And then I got sent to a juvenile facility for a year. Well, I spent nine months in SAG by myself when I was 16. That was the worst, you know, it was torture pretty much. I would bang my head on doors, cut myself. Um, pretty much anything I wasn't supposed to do that I could do with the very little bit I had myself. I turned 18 and I got sent up here and pretty much spent the rest of that sentence in SAG. Me personally, when I spend too much time inside my head, it's a dangerous thing. Cell extraction's uh, like a game. It's our opportunity to get back to COs. They mess with one person and spend the rest of their shift doing cell extractions. Dumb as it is, the cell extractions, people cutting up, is our TV, so to speak. I cut because it's my only way to escape. Obviously, being locked up, you don't have control of nothing. And cutting myself makes me feel in control. Since I came to the population, I just tried to bury myself in programs. But I don't know how any of that's going to work out. After doing all that time in SEG, I'm not a person that likes to talk. It breaks you. When I'm inside my head too much, I get paranoid about things and ultimately get depressed. Depression is not a good thing when you're locked in your cell 23 hours a day. Solitary confinement has the most fascinating history in the United States. Psychiatrist Dr. Stuart Grassian. The United States was actually the leader in modern times of introducing solitary confinement to the world. It was actually introduced by the Quakers as a noble experiment in rehabilitation. There was a belief that you could put a prisoner in his own solitary cell, freed from the evil influences of modern society. And if you put them in that cell, they would become like a penitent monk, free to come close to God and to their own inner being, and they would naturally heal. 
heal from the evils of the outside society. It was a noble experiment, and it was an absolute catastrophe. By the 1830s, statistical evidence began to accumulate that there was an inordinate incidence of psychosis, of suicide, and that people just deteriorated. By 1890, there was major condemnation of the institution by the United States Supreme Court. And so the experiment with solitary confinement gradually diminished as uh, evidence became unmistakable that uh, this was causing disastrous psychiatric consequences. On our special segment tonight, the subject is overcrowding, prison overcrowding. The state has the nation's largest prison system and also one of the most overcrowded. Outdated, overcrowded, and near a state of crisis. With three times many inmates. So after the Quakers experiment, the United States abandoned the use of solitary confinement. Psychologist and professor Craig Haney. We began to put unprecedented numbers of people in prison and so you had terribly overcrowded conditions and prisons that looked like they were about to become out of control. Prison populations reached an all-time high in this country last month, and one prison burst under the strain. Inmates set fire to 13 buildings and then attacked prison guards. The other thing that happened is that there were increasing numbers of mentally ill prisoners coming into the prison system. Their behavior was harder to understand, it was harder to control. Prison systems didn't have the resources to properly deal with them. Marion, America's toughest prison. Conditions are so tense, officials now say the prison is in a virtual state of siege. In October 1983, two inmates already serving life sentences murdered two guards in the same cell block the same day. Well, in 1983, there were two officers uh, within 24 hours that were killed by the Aryan Brotherhood. Gary Henman was warden of the federal prison the in Marion, Marion, Illinois. Completely demoralized. They felt that we had to do something to protect them from these inmates, and we had to do something to protect inmates from these inmates. The bureau director got involved and said, lock it down. It wasn't just a day, it wasn't a week, it was a permanent lockdown. The entire prison was locked down. That is, every man was confined to his cell to restore order. Now there is nearly one guard for every inmate. Unruly inmates can be chained to their concrete slab beds for hours, even days. The high security, the lockdown, was created out of necessity to maintain control of the inmates, confidence, and protection of the staff that have to face these kinds of individuals on a daily basis. We never wavered our belief that this was a necessity. Their response to it was to employ very large-scale solitary confinement. Dr. Stuart Grassi. Put a ton of people in solitary, which took away opportunities for programming, opportunities for social interaction. And that model of utter total control and harsh punishment took off in the United States so that over time we've developed more and more supermax prisons where everyone's in solitary confinement. I think segregation to a point does correct behavior. Gary Henman. For the people who felt we were too hard or harsh, well what alternatives did we have? What choices did we have? 
Our job is to protect the inmates and the staff and to allow people to get to their time and go out as respectable citizens, that type of thing. But what are you gonna do with those people who don't want that to happen? If you got a better answer, I wish we did. I always, I always said, you know, I wish we had some social medicine or a magic wand that we could use to correct people's behavior, but there's no such thing. As part of Maine's reforms, some inmates are being transferred from solitary into the prison's mental health unit. Todd Fickett has a long history of harming himself in solitary. What we're gonna do with Todd is introduce an individualized program in the mental health unit. Warden Rodney Buffard. We're gonna have a clinician working with Todd until we're successful at reducing the cutting behavior. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, we'll look at reintegrating Todd back into the general population. We still believe that he presents a significant danger to the staff and the other inmates. Todd ended up in segregation for a very serious assault. Uh, so essentially, we need to be reassured through programming that the likelihood of him engaging in that type of behavior is significantly reduced. So next is to figure out how you're doing and plan our next steps. So fill me in. Still, still don't feel very good. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, you feel like what does that mean? Just don't want to call. You still want to what? Just don't want to call myself. All right. I'm not even knowing the guy very well. I don't. Um, I can tell you, he doesn't enjoy this. Director of Mental Health, Dr. Dan Banish. To engender any sympathy. The intent many times is to make an officer do things. They feel totally controlled, and this is what they learn, and it's a learned behavior, is that uh, you can control others with this. Uh, but it is kind of a pathological way of control, because it doesn't gain them anything. It just, just for the briefest of time, they feel some sense of control, and then, then they're left stuck again, and, and usually in worse physical shape. We're just at the beginning. He's still struggling. He's still going to have to do his seg time, and he doesn't want to do it. So there's that kid side of him that just doesn't want to have to and you can't make me kind of thing. And I'd like to help him through that process. They're gonna tell me to drink something, I'm gonna say no. And they're gonna be like, well, just give him what you want. Adam Brula. Education, deck of cards, and medication. Not even, not even medication I can even possibly abuse. Antidepressants, and something to slow me down. 
Day in the cell is like three days out there. Right. I want my education. You're gonna be getting your GED, okay? Well, I want to do some testing tomorrow. Okay. I've been trying to do anything, and I'm not going to. Okay. You can put me in the deepest. I want a GED. Absolutely. For snap. And you know what? That's 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 a legitimate request. But you snapping isn't gonna get it to you. What you need to do at this point is let me try to help you. I'm done. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Brulot is a young man. Warden Rodney Buffard. Brulot is impulsive. And essentially, he's going to have to engage in programs. He's going to have to demonstrate the behaviors that we're looking for before we're ready to reintegrate him in general population. He's going to have to show us and demonstrate to us that the likelihood of him being involved with an assault or a crime is diminished significantly. Listen, you got four months left. You stop behaving and we'll figure something out. Yeah, let me tell you that if you put some behavior together, then we'll take a look at, at some point, moving you out of here so you can be released. Three days later. covered his window, we can't see in. He's actually plugged his toilet, flooded the toilet out, pushed feces out the cell doors. Captain David uh, Allen is manager window, of the solitary so unit. To the back window and see him either. So we have some concerns for what he's doing in the cell for his own safety. 10-9 burn. And a prisoner that is boarded up on the lower border, refusing all staff orders. Uh, I do not know, but if anybody is, it'd be 611 in the uh, Manager Allen uh, will be uh, conducting and operating the extraction team. I will be assuming incident command. 10 3.
Uh, Mr. Belot, how are you feeling today? Better. That's good to hear. All right. Freezing in that room. There's only the door and there's a crack in it this much. Okay. I can barely sleep down here. Mm -hmm. My mind just races and races and races. Mm -hmm. I read, oh. I do push-ups, I eat and I jerk off and do all I can to keep busy. All I really want to do is go to school. Mm -hmm. Leave it in like 170 days. Yep. I'm down to days now. Yep. We've got staff on board that can help you. No, I need to do. I need to go to school. And I want my GED. That's all I ask. Okay. I'm not going to go out there and scram for another job selling drugs and because I don't have no education. That's fair, okay? I told you at your door yesterday, give me a shot. Give me a chance. If I fill you full of then you do what you think you got to do, okay? And we'll do what we got to do, all right? We'll do our best to get you the help you need, okay? But I need, I need you to do your part, okay? I need to keep your head screwed on straight, okay? Thanks for coming out and talking, all right? Yep. Solitary confinement is toxic to mental function. Dr. Stuart Grassian. There is a particular illness that results from being in solitary confinement. It's a delirium. It's a neuropsychiatric, almost a medical, a neurologic disease. We see in humans, we see it in animals, I mean, we see it in mammals. Now, suppose that in addition to an environment that is merely strange, we produce one that's really frightening. Dr. Harry Harlow in the 1950s did some experimentation with monkeys, studying the effect of social isolation. And one of his experiments involved taking monkeys who had been uh, raised with other monkeys, so they were socialized and okay, and then putting them in a, what was amounted to a solitary confinement chamber. Distressed, he may die for want of love. You see them rocking and shaking and, and sort of ritualistic compulsive behavior. And after some period of time, they brought them out and put them into a cage with other animals. These monkeys were massively impaired. They were frightened, hiding. And then they would have sudden aggression, uh, attacking each other. Very different behavior, very abnormal behavior. There was no recovery. These animals didn't recover from this. One of the important clinical findings with solitary confinement is that 
People deprived of an adequate level of stimulation become actually intolerant of stimulation. They overreact, they become hyper-responsive to it, and they can't stand it. That's why you see guys getting out of solitary and they just hide in their room because they can't stand stimulation. There has been a recent study that actually showed that this is a reality in the brain. Uh, it was a study from the Balkan conflict uh, in which it looked at prisoners released from confinement and looked at their brain waves. Some of these guys had hyper-responsive reactions, they had spike reactions to the visual stimulus, and they looked at who those fellows were. Semi-starvation, no. Length of time in prison, no. Beatings, no. There was only two things ever predicted. Head trauma to the point of unconsciousness, and a period of time in solitary confinement. A number of studies show that inmates who have spent time in solitary are more likely to reoffend than those who haven't. You lose all feelings. You become immune to everything. Sam Kaysen. You're not the same after spending so much time by yourself in those conditions. I don't care who you are. You don't come out the same person. I did 11 months in the SAG unit and went from there straight home. I tried to tell my mom and everybody I didn't want anybody around. And I got home, there was five people there and I felt like there was 5,000 people there. And ultimately for my first couple months, I locked myself in my camper until my mom and everybody tried to explain to me I'm not prison. I shouldn't live like that. Um, I ultimately tried to force myself to live like I was still in sick because I didn't know what to do. And then when I stopped, I was out of control. I didn't know what to do with myself. I went from the most restrictive place I've ever been to no restrictions at all. And ultimately, I ended up shooting somebody and coming back. some of the prison's most dangerous inmates have been moved to general population. Name's Richard Stahersky, 29297. I was convicted of robbery and a crime of violence and possession of a stolen firearm. 
Same here. Richard Stahursky is serving 19 years for armed robbery. I was always getting in trouble as a kid. Pretty much, I grew up around violence. And when I was real young, I was in a place for young kids who have, like, behavior problems and whatnot. And then, when I was 17, I went to a regular prison. I did most of my sentence in seg. I think it had an effect on me. Because it made me where I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Enough. And then it just progressed from there. Got out, went in. Got out, went in. Then I ended up in seg here. In 2003, I was out in population, and I stabbed an inmate 23 times. I got placed in segregation and stabbed another inmate out here in the red cages and assaulted a bunch of COs, lit a couple fires, escaped out of my cell. You name it, I've done it. And then they let me back off the population. And to be honest with you, I was worded out. Because you're in a cell 23 hours a day. You're not used to people walking behind you, talking to you real loud, and getting out. Felt really weird. Kind of like first day at school, except like 100 times worse. You know what I mean? It's weird being around groups of people after being so segregated for so long. Todd Fickett has been in the mental health unit for a month without self-harming. How you doing? You get my letter? So how are you and mom doing? I got to finally talk to my daughter for the first time after. She actually said, hi, daddy, and I love you, so. No, it's good. How did it make you feel? It made me feel like a new guy. Wouldn't say man, per se, because I'm only 21, but made me feel like a new guy. Made me feel all fuzzy. Director of Mental Health, Dr. Dan Banish. Mr. Fick is somebody who tries to elicit that he's not helpable and he's just into being a nasty guy, but I don't believe that. And I've told him that. So he's sometimes tries to test me and uh, see if I can be, be brought down to believing that he's really a horrible human being. Um, no, I mean, he's too young to throw away. I like puzzles, so I got one for you, Kirkley, and Griffin. I'm gonna each give you something to do. I think you're, you're gonna enjoy this. Okay. And see if you guys put this on a piece of paper. So I'm gonna get a piece of paper for you. All right. All right, let me get this piece of paper. Now we're into puzzles time. Oh my God, You see how enjoyable these guys are? I mean, they really are, they are, they, are, they don't wanna be grumpy. They don't wanna be upset. They want contact that's meaningful. 
I got a present for you. There we go. Oh, <laughs> this is a good one. No conferring with each other either. So the idea is then to see if there's a way to keep mental health in their cell without having to be there. So that we use a transitional object, something that represents me. We'll see if you got that by Monday. If you notice, I didn't just hand them pieces of paper. I made contact with each of them. We've had a, a nice interaction. So, so, and I've got them off the, the, the grumpy kinds of, I'm upset and everything, and reconnected with them, engaged with them. And then I'll be there to follow up with this piece, and they'll be all excited, especially if they've accomplished this thing. Now, once you go, go in one direction, coming back the other way is another line. And that's what I'm saying, yeah. The other thing that they're unaware of is the actual thing that they're working on has clinical component attached to it that I'll be then using the next time I meet them. Because the solution has to do with other ways of looking at problems. It's very healthy to struggle. There's nothing wrong with struggle. So what do you got? How does a ball go in one direction, stop, and go back in the opposite direction without touching anything at all oh. after it leaves your hands? Oh my goodness, okay. That's, you want me to tell you? Or do you want to try to figure it out? Oh, I, I always want to try to figure it out. We can't just bury these guys. As a psychologist, I'm looking into what's effective. What works? Why do we keep doing things that don't work or make things worse? Why don't we figure something else out? So every time I meet with them, you know, it's, it's much more of an uplifting kind of thing. We'll goof with each other. Goes in one direction, stops. Goes back in the opposite direction. Goes back in the opposite direction. Without touching anything at all. I'm not there to judge him. And I don't have him just as being this nasty kid. That's good. He doesn't want to end up where he knows he's going to end up. He's a kid. Smart guy. into the warden's reforms, the number of inmates in solitary is falling rapidly. There's no question in my mind that we're actually seeing some positive effects of what we do. Um, I can tell you that the number of fights have dropped, uh, the number of use of weapons has dropped, transports to the emergency room have dropped, the use of constant watches has dropped. So overall, it's had a positive impact, but we're just beginning. The reality is, is we're just beginning. Professor Craig Haney of University of California at Santa Cruz. Prison systems around the country very, very slowly beginning to see that solitary confinement is not a panacea, that in many instances it creates many more problems than it solves. It's very, very expensive, and that there are much more cost-effective and intelligent ways of addressing these problems than the supermax solitary confinement solution we've been using. The Federal Bureau of Prisons has started a review of solitary confinement at all federal prisons. Colorado, Maine, and Georgia are already scaling back. New York State has agreed to place unprecedented restrictions on the use of solitary confinement in its prisons. The president says, quote, solitary confinement has the potential to lead to devastating, lasting psychological consequences. In each place, the consequence of depopulating the segregation of supermax 
units has been a very positive one. It's actually resulted in an overall reduction in the amount of violence in the larger prison system, which is something no one, no one predicted. After a series of reforms, the number of Mississippi inmates in solitary confinement is down 75%. Closing Unit 32 saved Mississippi $6 million a year. Let me tell you what I think may be going on, which is that the existence of solitary confinement has allowed correctional systems to deal with problems by putting people in the hall, by sending them off to solitary confinement and never having to think it through beyond that. The absence of having that as a quick solution forces them to take a different attitude about things, to de-escalate problems before they get to be too severe, to try to get to the bottom of why it is there's conflict between prisoners. And I'm gonna to get to the root of the problem. You're gonna actually try to address the problem in the here and now, rather than saying, well, there's always Supermax. The 52 inmates left in solitary at Maine State Prison are angry they haven't been moved out. guys are running out of time. I told you I'm trying to do it the easy way, but I've been down here too long to keep playing their game. Gordon Perry is serving life for murdering a police I officer. I started this sentence in 1997. Capital murder. I was a crazy young kid, 21 years old, didn't care about nothing. I've been down in isolation for about a year now. He's in solitary for stabbing another inmate. If I don't get some answers by 3 o'clock, I'm covering my window. And if I don't get good enough answers after that, they're extracting me. It'll be a miracle if I don't get extracted today. It will be a miracle. They're going to be calling when my window's covered. The only way you ever get anything around here is to act up. I sit back being good for a year, ain't working. I'm getting smoke blown up my ass every which way I look. How you doing? I'm pretty pissed off. You got a couple of assaults in 17 years. How hard is it to move me? So I got to be out of here pretty soon. Because of what you've done here, you know, we're going to move you out very slowly, OK? What I need to know is when I move you out there, are you going to be safe? Am I going to be safe? You're going to be safe. I need to know that the other inmates are going to be safe as well. I got no plans to go after anybody, but you got me down here for a year. I'm all set with the stabbings. I'm ready to go out and, and try to enjoy myself a little bit. OK. I'm willing to look at moving you along, but it's going to be a while. We've got to work the process. And I'm not interested in burying you. I'm already, I'm already buried, though. I've already been down here a year. <laughs> we'll evaluate it, and we'll look at moving you along. And we'll talk next week, OK? All right? Um, 
Have a good weekend. taken the rehabilitation classes for three months. So where we leave off last time? You might remember, I think it's page 32. You open up to 32, right? Part of that. Oh, attitude. Uh, you explained open-mindedness last week and you touched on it again this week, but tell me how you see open-mindedness. What is the fault of it? Why is it a problem for you? Uh, I don't have too much open-mindedness for the rules in here. And tell us why. There's always a reason, so let us know. Obviously, because I'm a criminal and I don't like the rules that you guys have. What happens when you follow the rules? Tell us. You're not as happy. <laughs> I, honestly, I mean, you want me to tell you the truth? <laughs> that program is bull Everybody knows it. Do you want to change? Change for what? What do you, change into what? <laughs> I'm here forever, there's nothing for me to change. I'm a criminal, I mean. I'm not gonna jump on the other side or anything, so I am what I am. I mean, I'm not gonna, I don't even wanna do this program. I just wanna get out of SEG. I think my character's pretty good overall. If you don't wanna change, you ain't gonna change. I'll show you how much smoke. Let's go to hot one. Trade him or whatever you wanna do it. Perry, right now he is doing everything we asked for him to do. He comes out and cleans. He doesn't give my staff a hard time. He does group. I don't have any problems with him. Does he want to come out? He does. Yeah. In fact, I looked at his journal book the other night. He's fully engaged in his journal. He's actually completed the first one. You're going to get my recommendation for him to go on. Yeah. Looking for it. He's ready. You got to remember, this guy is a predator. Somebody you got to watch. Um, I'm not keeping him there. If he's showing that he's behaving and doing what he needs to do, we're going to move him along. At some point, you got to give somebody a second chance. If they're doing what we're asking them to do, they're moving through the system. All right, let's do it. Yep. For it. He's ready. Yeah, he is. very dangerous individual, but our obligation is to continue to provide him with the opportunity to change. And I don't hesitate on that decision at all. All right, you got somebody got to get door. You never can tell what's going to change somebody around, whether it's a five-minute discussion or 300 hours of therapy. Essentially, I still believe that, that we can change him. 
I'm happy, content, but if I stab somebody and I get chipped out all over again, I really don't care. My realistic honest plan is to live as good as I can in here. That is my plans. I'm just hanging out, that's what I'm doing. Hanging out, making the best of that situation. Adam Brulot has not progressed from solitary to general population due to repeated bad behavior. Done trying to be good. I'm going home in 90 days. All I have to do is 90 more and I'm done. Going home. Yeah, my mental health diminished. Slowly but surely. It'll do it to anybody. I lasted a while. Now I just say And put me in the coldest cell of this whole prison. That's punishment. I don't know, this is America, not Russia. This is cold here. <laughs> all I do is open a vein and throw blood all over myself. Refuse medical attention until I get a warmer cell. Make myself bleed a little bit. Seen Adam Brulot deteriorate since he arrived in SEG. Was segregation the right place for a person like Adam? 
Well, you just defined why we don't like to use segregation, uh, but sometimes it's necessary. Mr. Brulot was engaged in some very, very serious behavior while he was in general population. So without a doubt, it was the right place for him. Did he spend too long in sight? You know, that's a real hard question to answer. There's a lot of gray here in some of the decisions that we make. There's no exact science to any one of these guys. You have to try to figure them out as we go along. But ultimately, when we're moving him back into the general population, you know, we have to be certain that the staff are going to be safe, that the other inmates are going to be safe, and that he's going to be safe. Before you went to SEG, did you ever imagine that you would cut yourself like that? No. Never. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. I seen a couple people doing it, so then I started doing it. I'm gonna try to be normal again. Just the routine every day gets to you. I've been down here four months. And I've gotten in trouble like 30 times. Been extracted umpteen times. Just flooded my whole room out a couple times. Just have to pass the time away. And I guess they don't like that. They think I'm crazy for it. But you gotta do something. Adam is finally moved into the mental health unit. The number of inmates in solitary is down from more than 100 to 46. Some inmates that are incredibly dangerous. Warden Buffard. But on even those inmates, we've got to work with them. We've been able to reduce our segregation population by 50%. We saved about a million dollars a year. I'm very confident that this process is going to work. And obviously, if there's any negative outcome, we're going to look at that negative outcome. But frankly, I'm absolutely convinced that what we're doing is going to work, and it is working. In the months that followed, Warden Buffard left the prison to run a psychiatric hospital. The solitary reforms continued, but a brutal murder threw the prison into crisis. State police have formally charged a Maine State Prison inmate with murdering another inmate. When police say Richard Sterhersky took two makeshift knives and stabbed convicted child molesters. How is it possible a murder can go unnoticed? An inmate beaten, tied up, and stabbed 87 times. Investigators say Sterhersky used a piece of metal bed frame as a makeshift knife. 
Part 3, Winter 2016. Richard Stahursky is back in solitary after the murder in general population. I've been locked up a little over 14 years, and I've been in SAG a little over 12. What did that tell you? I did six years in SAG. You know what they do? They take me, put me right back out in population. Instead of integrating me out there, just threw me out there. You know how I felt? I felt so weird just being around people. I never felt like that before. You know, you know what I mean? Just having people walk behind me, having them, it's like, I don't know. Kind of felt like a real paranoid. Like, oh, is this dude gonna try something? Maybe I should get him first. Stahursky was given a life sentence for the killing. I've never hurt anybody that I felt that didn't deserve it. Staff members, any staff member I ever put my hands on, I didn't stab any of them. I had multiple opportunities to. I have not done that. When I was done, I walked up to the desk. The female that was on had her back to me, threw the two shanks on the desk. And I told her, I said, I'm not here to hurt you. I held my hands up like this and I go, I'm gonna turn around, put my hands behind my back, cuff me. I turned around, put my hands behind my back, she froze up. I think she was kind of little and shocked. She just didn't know what the hell was going on. She's like, is that your blood? Is that somebody's blood? Is that yours? I said, hello, don't ask no questions. Just cuff me up, call your coat. Am I a violent inmate? I can be, yes. You put me in certain situations, I am going to be like that. That's not no secret, though. Anybody knows that. Shortly after the murder, Maine appointed a new state commissioner of corrections. We take an event like that extremely seriously. Commissioner Joseph Fitzpatrick. But at the same time, we recognize, given that we're working with a very high-risk population, that the key is not to overreact to an incident like that and change an entire system or take a giant step backwards um, out of fear. My background is in training as a clinical psychologist. But it is an unusual situation to find a psychologist overseeing or running a prison system. And as a psychologist, I think the mission of the Department of Corrections can't just be about management or control. It's got to be about mitigating risk. And to mitigate risk, you need treatment and programming. To have treatment and programming, individuals can't be locked down. They've got to be interacting. So I think the key around that homicide, which was horrific, um, was to treat it appropriately, hold the offender accountable, but not sabotage a system that was moving in, in an appropriate direction. The commissioner accelerated the solitary reforms with new programs in education. 
a new treatment unit was opened for inmates with serious mental illness. A special structured living unit was created for inmates to transition out of solitary. By early 2016, there are just 39 prisoners in solitary. There's gonna be mistakes, there's gonna be missteps, there's gonna be major incidents, but I do think it's working. We're seeing a reduction in assault, and the numbers have continued to go down in the SEG unit. So that tells me that we're doing a better job at keeping people out and of getting them out sooner. I also think that we're doing a better job of equipping them when they leave so that they, they have more of a chance of being successful uh, when they return to their housing unit. But quite honestly, even as a psychologist, I'd tell you that we're never going to compromise safety and security for the staff or for the offenders in the name of treatment. It has to be a balancing act. Last 18 months, Todd Fickett has been in and out of solitary. But he's continued the rehabilitation classes. I do have a different attitude from two years ago. The program that I've done since I've been in prison taught me how to change my frame of mind. These groups aren't just something to occupy your mind, though. These groups are um, supposed to help you change yourself. So I can, I, can't, I can say part of it is to give me something to do, yes. Um, but these groups have also helped me see a, a better person in myself than I was before. So. Actually, going back a couple years ago, my mind would go uh, into these little circuits where it's like I'd be aggravated real quickly or I'd be uh, going to a depression real quick-like. And I've been trying to work over the past two years to uh, change that. And as of right now, I could probably tell you I will never cop again. I don't plan on it, I don't want it. Some days do I actually think back on what I did. Some days I've thought, said, hey, yeah, I wasn't only hurting me, I was hurting some of these COs. I was hurting inmates who had problems with it, just staring at the blood. I've hurt my family. I don't think it was right for me doing any of it. But like I said, the past is the past. You can't change it. So. Since 2012, the prison says self-harm has dropped 80%. Things just plain had to change. Dr. Dan Vanish. We just plain had to change the way we're doing business. Self-injurious behavior in segregation hadn't stopped, but we'd significantly decreased it, largely by, by just not punishing it. Um, so that was the first change in culture, that, that you know punishment doesn't work. Now it's all about treatment. How do we work together so that you get better? Right. And we will do whatever is necessary to make you better. That's very mature. You're Mature. Yeah. Mature. It's not mature, it's mature. I tell everybody that. Mr. Fickett is still pretty young, so you still had a chance to look at some potential change for him. 
So do you feel the same? So he's been seg for four times, five times, but each time he leaves, he's moved further. He's really kind of getting it. And he realizes we didn't send him a seg to, to really show him who's boss and kick him in the ass. It's, we're gonna seg because you really messed up. Uh, we, we're not gonna let you hurt people. We're not gonna let you do this. Um, that's not helpful to you as a human being. It's not gonna get you out of here. Uh, and we're gonna stop you. And we'll stop you every time. And then we're gonna move you forward again. Prisoners are now entitled to a review board where they can make a case for release from solitary. Todd Fickett. Obviously, we know the reason why I'm down here. Three years ago, I assaulted an officer. I've done my time, okay? The past year, I was trying to move on with changing myself. I had put in for several groups to better myself, to get out to my family, to do my time. I've come from a long ways of fighting, of assaulting, cutting up, of doing stupid things to now, because I'm trying to change. I'm trying to move on. OK, what kind of programs have you done? Since I've been down here, I've done challenge program. I've done psychology incarceration, coping skill groups, and a couple of anger management groups back when I was in media. So I've done groups over the years. When was the last time you cut? Last time I cut was April 17, 2014. Okay. I think that you're sincere in your willingness to change. Is that true? Yes, it is. Yep. And I think that you've been well behaved in the SMU since you've been down there. Yes, sir. Our decision is that you'll be referred to the structured living unit. Okay. Good outcome? That was a good outcome. All right, so don't prove us wrong. Take advantage of the programming that we have uh, for you yep. and um, do the best you can. Yes, sir. Okay. Good luck and work hard, okay? Yes, sir. Thank you. Be good, be good at it. Fickett has been moved to the new structured living unit for inmates transitioning out of solitary. On a scale of one to 10, where you sit now, where do you feel that you are in terms of both In the new unit, inmates two. must take classes in behavior change you know, and anger management. We are creating a unit where we're putting very dangerous individuals in very close proximity and giving them a significant amount of freedom to interact. Commissioner Fitzpatrick. Uh, so um, we almost have to be a little bit more on our toes that this is a high-risk population so what you really need to do is create incentives. Get away from the punishment model. Create the incentives that will start to keep them moving in the right direction. But there may be individuals that don't make it in that unit. Someone who defies the rules and decides, I don't want to get healthy. And you have to make some hard decisions sometimes that that individual might not be appropriate for that unit, and they could find themselves back in segregation. Gordon Perry has been in the structured living unit for four months. He is suspected of running a gang. I'm happy I'm not in SEG because I've been down there so long, but as far as this being a place where you can better yourself, I think it's the exact opposite. I think it's a place that just breeds 
better um, criminals. In order to survive and live good, you have to kind of, you have to break rules. You have to learn how to be a better criminal so you don't get caught and you can kind of live a little bit, you know, figure out ways to make money that help you survive in here a little bit better. Nine days later, an inmate is brutally assaulted in the structured living unit. Captain David Allen. It is tense on the unit now, but we had a pretty severe assault where an inmate actually ended up striking another inmate with a padlock about 15 times. It made it very difficult with the number of inmates in the pod for us to secure that scene also protect the inmates that were involved in the incident. We have some very dangerous guys in there. And putting those types of personalities all in one area, it can be extremely challenging to manage. It can be extremely challenging to, to do it in a safe manner as well. Um, I'm pretty much <laughs> Once again, I am in seg. They're trying to tie me into that assault. It's something about uh, I'm the big factor of it all. Yeah. <laughs> They'll probably jam me up. Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, I expect the worst. They're going to screw me the best they can. And the best they can is keep me here for a couple, two, three, four years, whatever they decide they want to do. down, we searched everybody. During that search process, we discovered six inmates that had uh, tattoos DM on them, which meant deadly minds. Prisoner Perry was actually the one leading that little uh, crew, and out of the last five assaults in here, four of them were done by people with a DM tattoo. So we would have to say he's definitely influencing younger prisoners to uh, be involved in the gang and to assault other inmates. What's your opinion on Perry? Is he somebody who can change? Probably not, probably not. I haven't seen any change in him. But that doesn't mean that we stop trying to do that. You try to give them you know, the best chance to change you possibly can. And sometimes we're successful, sometimes we're not. You know? After years in and out of solitary, Sam Kaysen is now in general population. In prison, he's joined up with white supremacists and gotten racist and neo-Nazi tattoos. I can't live with minorities. There's a list of people I can't live with. I, I'm a violent person, but Monday morning, I'm getting released to the free world. This sentence is the first sentence that I haven't spent 90% of my time in and say, I've done a lot of programming. I, I, I guess it's the first sentence where I realize this isn't the life that I want to live. I mean, I've been in and, out, in and out since I was nine.
sometimes I wish I wasn't going home because the anxiety is so bad. For somebody like me that spent most of my life locked up, it's easy to say, all right, I'm going back to prison for however many years. It's not easy to go back to the streets. I definitely think that all the solitary time I've Done, it's changed me. Maybe not permanently, but it won't be easy to change back. I mean, as far as functioning in the real world, I think it's affected me in extreme ways. You know, I was out for six months and I still couldn't go into Walmart without either being high or having a panic attack. Like, it may just be because I've spent so much time out of the real world, but my honest opinion is because it's it's because I've spent so much time in a cell by myself. I feel like I, I still carry it, but I don't feel like it's gonna affect me as, as much as it has in the past. I don't want to come back here again. All I can do is take it one day at a time, try to do the right thing and hope that it works. Been out a while now. Adam Brulot. It was kind of rough starting out. You go from a little cell and nobody around, and it's just you. And you look out this little window and see life go by. The guards go by, they go home, they come back, you're still there. And then they finally let you go. Now you're surrounded by everybody, and they're all in your face. And even if they're 10 feet away from you, you're still aware of them and looking, even if they have nothing to do with you, because there's just too many people. Last time I interviewed you, I said you're going to try and be normal again. Yeah. How's try. That I think I've done an all right job, I guess. I don't know. Well, the other people, I think I'm pretty normal. At least I'm not in a home or something. Crazy people, <laughs> which I thought I'd end up at. You definitely feel paranoid when you get out at the beginning. It was too much for me. It's way too much for me. 
I ran away, didn't want to deal with anything, don't think I could at the time. And I met up with my cousin Mikey and we bought a tent and some camping equipment and went out in the middle of the woods and camped there for like six months because I couldn't handle it out here. Couldn't handle getting an apartment, couldn't get a job. So I had no money, no transportation, no nothing. A week went by, we had a nice little fortress made up out there. All camoed out. And I don't know, it just makes you totally relax sitting out there. No way in hell is someone's gonna show up out there unless they're lost. Don't have to answer to anybody. Me and one other person, pretty much a cellmate out in the woods. Is what we called each other, cellies. <laughs> I just wanted to be me, myself, and get my head right. And I couldn't do that with people around, so the woods helped. I was lost, so. Since Adam's release, he's done multiple short jail sentences for driving without a license, an assault, and unpaid court fines. He now has a job at a local convenience store. Life has been pretty good to me this past year. I have a job, and I've got a place to live, and I have a girlfriend that's supportive. And the people around town have kind of forgiven me and, and know that I've changed. I'm a lot happier than before, and it feels good to go to work every day and make a paycheck. Come home and be able to relax. I've been in a relationship for a year with my girlfriend, Taylor. Definitely thinking of the future much brighter than before. I'm just hopeful. Very hopeful for him. I know he's not going to go back to jail again. I've been adamant that I don't want that to happen anyway. She tells me all the time, never go back, never go back. So that helps also. She, she supports me a lot in that category. So if I go back, she'd be mad. And I know he doesn't want to either. No. So that helps. The both of us don't want him to go back. I know he won't. But it helps hearing it, though. Every once in a while, you need to hear it. Psych definitely damaged me. I don't like to... I don't like to have people screaming around me at all because that's all you hear in there, and it's... Anxiety, I've never even had that before. I had to deal with that when I got out to even realize what it was. And... Just... It leaves a scar in you that you won't forget, and you can't heal it, no matter how good you are. You can... try and block it out. but it's still gonna be there. 
and you still think about it. You get flashbacks. Get anxiety and you gotta walk away. Just get away from people. Later that night, Adam is arrested for his outstanding court fines and sent to York County Jail. Yesterday, the cop showed up at my door with a warrant for my arrest for unpaid fines. Like the fourth time it's happened. No matter how good I be, it happens every time. I was doing fine yesterday, nothing. It's fine. Just ate supper, lay down with my girlfriend, and then knock, knock, knock. All cops randomly bring you to jail for no reason at all. No justified reason, anyway. All the good things I've done for what? I had to sit here and think about that all night. It's like they're still gonna come and arrest you. They're still gonna bring you to jail. I've done nothing wrong. I gotta come up with $900 to get out of here, almost $1,000. I can't pay it. There's nothing I can do about it. It's the worst part. Now I'm angry, anxiety is going through me. I'm kind of sad because I'm crushed of all the good things I've done. It just means nothing to anybody besides me and my girlfriend. I could possibly lose my job. That's gonna be damn near impossible to get again. I can't even sleep because I'm sweaty and I'm hearts racing. I can't get comfortable at all. So, and I'm, I'm stuck in this pot. General population. I don't like being surrounded by people anymore. It gives me anxiety. I don't like big crowds. I think they just kept me in my own cell for so long. It's hard for me to be in general population. Can't trust anybody. Don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to sit by myself. risk doing something stupid in here because surrounded by stupid people you're gonna do something stupid it's just a matter of time it's like you have no one in here you're lost surrounded by people that have no idea who you are and think they know who you're gonna be and I will fight anybody right now that comes up and bursts my bubble because I'm not in the right state of mind fight-or-flight mode Instant anxiety, instant get the f away from me. I cannot handle this. And when is it going to end? 
I don't think I'll ever be the same as before I ever went to say. Just never leave you. You don't forget it. Summer 2016. By June 2016, the number of inmates in solitary at the Maine State Prison is at an all-time low. The 23 men still here are considered the most dangerous and difficult in the state. There are certain people who are just so dangerous, and you have to respect that. They need to know we can't afford to put you elsewhere because you will hurt people, including us, if we let you out. Director of Mental Health, Dr. Dan Banish. With true psychopaths who have killed people and will do it again, I, I don't know that there is any good definitive treatment in the world that's been developed. You ain't gonna strangle me with my tie. I would never do that. Mr. Stahursky, he has no problem killing them. There have been those that I've met where literally it doesn't matter. They would see you as just a hunk of whatever and, and don't recognize that when you're killing somebody, you're killing another human being. Do you think you're a psychopath? <laughs> no, I don't think I'm a psychopath. Uh, I think I made some serious, dangerous decisions in my life. I guess everybody's like, oh, man, he's real dangerous. So I can't go anywhere around here without them thinking I'm Hannibal Lecter. They don't trust me as far as they can throw me. I don't blame them. But no, I don't think I'm a psychopath. I ain't crazy. I'm just misunderstood. February 26th, our last review with him. He was here six months, so he had a six-month review. What's the next step? Stahursky is now eligible for a review of his placement in solitary. There are. There should be one more. Yeah, there are. I mean, we all know that. So. Yeah. We should bring uh, Stahursky up next. Stahursky. Good morning. Have a seat. You're here for your uh, review. What do you have to say? I take full responsibility for my actions. Okay. I'm not blaming the administration for me being in SAG. You know what I'm saying? I'm not blaming anybody for all the crimes that I committed in this facility, or the assaults. You know, I mean, that should come from, towards something, right? It does. It, it does. does. Effort and effort. Effort. So, Keep I mean, any I, I like to know where do we go from here? You know, you know what I mean? I'm not looking for opportunities to be stuck here. My whole point is to move forward. I think we take one step at a time. And the next step is we work the case plan like we've talked about with some of this more specific programming and education. The step down the road is potential out-of-state placement at some point. But we got to go one step at a time. We're not going to make all these decisions today. This future ain't like... 10 years down the line. No, it's not. It's not that. I've done a long time already in SEG here. 
But I guess what we've said here today is we're not quite there yet. Continue with the college education, programming, good behavior, and then we'll look at you again in six months. Okay? All right. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing the right things. Okay? Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Ultimately, over the last couple of years, we've kind of gone through our system. You find out it's a relatively small group of guys who are extremely dangerous and where you have to keep them isolated from other human beings or they'll hurt them. You've got your hot pot. You know what it does right now? Right there. Oh. You have to protect the rest of the, the community. Uh, you can't just say, well, we'll try stuff out in geez, over a 10-year period, he's only killed three. You have to make sure your community is protected. So there will always be certain individuals within SIG who are just plain dangerous and should stay there. And so, the, But that's a very small number. Between 2011 and 2017, the Maine State Prison reduced the number of inmates in solitary from more than 100 to 8. More than 30 states are now attempting solitary reforms. Adam Brulot was eventually released from county jail. He lost his job shortly afterwards. Todd Fickett stopped cutting himself and progressed into general population. He will be eligible for release in 2024. Gordon Perry was given another chance to leave solitary. He is currently in general population. Richard Stahursky was transferred to a prison in New Jersey where he was put in solitary. Sam Kaysen lasted two months on the outside before being arrested on a domestic violence charge. I got arrested May 31st and been sitting here in Max ever since. Things unraveled faster than they ever have. I mean, I don't know if it's just my seg time or all the time I spent locked up, but if I feel like somebody's trying to intimidate me, it's like a switch turns on. I'm a violent felon. I'm not somebody that should ever be left to his own thoughts. Addicts feel that the drugs call their name. I feel that that razor calls my name. I still think that the best thing for me is treatment, some kind of help because I've overanalyzed everything, and I think everybody's out to get me, and then I start cutting up. 
nobody's fault but my own. I'm the convict. I'm the man with the violent record. I cannot turn off the prison mentality. I know that I don't think like a normal person. Sam Kaysen is now in general population at the Maine State Prison. The prison is continuing its effort to reduce the use of solitary confinement. Go to pbs.org frontline for an immersive virtual reality tour of life in solitary. I didn't realize that I would be spending five and a half years of my life in solitary confinement. Learn more about efforts around the country to reform the use of solitary. So how does pride affect us? I show pride. I try to go like, too far. I start to get hard-headed. Connect to the Frontline community on Facebook and Twitter or pbs.org frontline. An adventurous experiment. What if I ate fish every meal for a year? To explore the connection between the health of our waters. The number of wild salmon has been reduced dramatically, and one of the reasons is salmon farming and our own health. Opening my omega-3 results, the moment of truth. An eye-opening journey from ship to shore. We need to transition to a completely different relationship to our seas. The fish on my plate. Go to pbs.org frontline for an immersive virtual reality tour of life in solitary. I didn't realize that I would be spending five and a half years of my life in solitary confinement. Learn more about efforts around the country to reform the use of solitary. So how does pride affect us? I show pride, I try to go like, too far, I start to get hard-headed. Connect to the Frontline community on Facebook and Twitter, or pbs.org frontline. Frontline is made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. And by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Major support for Frontline is provided by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information is available at macfound.org. Additional support is provided by the Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide at fordfoundation.org. The Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The John and Helen Glessner Family Trust, supporting trustworthy journalism that informs and inspires. And by the Frontline Journalism Fund, with major support from John and Joanne Hagler, and additional support from Laura DeBonis. Days of Solitary is produced and directed by Dan Edge and Lauren Mucciola. The executive producer of Frontline is Rainey Aronson Roth. Frontline's Last Days of Solitary is available on DVD. To order, visit shoppbs.org or call 1-800-PLAY-PBS. Frontline is also available for download on iTunes.